Hey everybody, I'm John Miller, and welcome back to the Everybody Trades Podcast. As always, thanks a million for being here. And you know what? To start off today, I have an honest question for all of you. A month ago, did you have any idea? I want you to raise your hand, all of you in the audience, collectively. If you know, one month ago, if you knew who Jamal Khashoggi is, go ahead, raise your hand. (coughs) Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I didn't know who Jamal Khashoggi was a month ago either. Apparently, though, he's been writing some columns for the Washington Post, and that makes him a journalist, among other things. Now, I'm going to be honest, I don't think that Mr. Khashoggi in any way deserved to, based on what I have any idea of, certainly not by his own government, to be murdered by his own government with no trial. Certainly, I can't justify that in any means. But I do think that it's a little bit evasive by the mainstream media to simply call him a journalist. Because frankly, there's a lot more to him than that. There's a lot more to him than meets the eye, at least in terms if you're just going to call him a guy who writes columns for the Washington Post. And again, this isn't to call the guy a bad person. It's actually to cast more of a light on the Saudi government, the Saudi kingdom, and what the relationship that they really have with the United States government and what that is all about. First of all, in its face, it's confusing that the United States government, in light of the September 11th, 2001 World Trade Center attacks, would have any relationship with the Saudi kingdom. As according to the 9-11 Commission reports and all evidence that we're aware of, the people who were involved with Osama bin Laden were indeed Saudi Arabians, people connected to the Saudi family specifically. And by the way, I I had to catch myself there just now, and I'll tell you why. There's a difference between Saudi Arabian people and Saudis, and it's a really bizarre relationship because, you see, before the Saudi family came into Saudi Arabia, it wasn't known as Saudi Arabia. So it's bizarre that a conquering family that was basically a bloodthirsty force that came in and conquered an area, conquered a people, they then, the people themselves who are conquered, are now worldwide known as Saudis themselves. Almost everybody in America calls people who are conquered by the Saudi family Saudis. So that's just an aside right there. I just wanted to, just an interesting relationship and a dynamic that I wanted to point out really quickly before we move forward. So again, why would D.C. have a relationship with these bloodthirsty royal people? Well, I'm sure some of you are quite capable of answering this. The answer is, quite simply, oil. Or you could be more complicated than that and say American economic interests and the flow of of energy and trade and yada, yada, yada. Essentially, the Saudis own a lot of oil in their kingdom, and frankly, we want some of it. That's the deal. D.C. wants the oil, period. And a lot of people can scoff at that, but I think ultimately that is the reason why we have a more close-knit relationship with them as opposed to other regimes in that region that aren't particularly nice either, but certainly, or compared to the Saudis, might be a, a bit nicer than they are. You know, everything's relative, right? Now, of course, I'll be completely frank with all of you. I'm not 
and Middle Eastern historian at all, by any stretch of the imagination. But what I do understand is basic trade, economics, and how human beings actually work. You see, there's this idea that if the United States government, if D.C., for all of its for all of the sort of gross elements, for lack of a better term, the sort of icky elements of being involved with a murderous regime, to put it lightly, for all of the bad parts of that, by golly, we have to do it in order for our modern society to work. We have to have the free flow of oil going or else basically Western modern society can no longer function as it is. And and in fact, by golly, poor people will be hardest hit and minorities as they often are in this country. At least that's always the rhetoric that you hear in newspapers and on TV. Now, there's a couple problems with that argument. First of all, the United States in the last 10, 20 years has discovered enormous amounts of oil in its own in its own lands that it is yet to even pull up out of the ground. And not just in not just in the United States, in Canada as well. Do we think Canada is going to have a problem? The Canadian oil companies are going to have a problem selling to America? Mexico has opportunities that they can explore as well. It's just a matter of economics and getting the oil out of the ground, frankly. And if oil prices happen to go higher, guess what? That incentivizes more people to get that oil that is more difficult to get out of the ground. They go get it. But guess what? Even if it was, even if it was 20, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, whatever it might be, when America didn't have as practical, at least they didn't have the knowledge of all of this oil supply that they have in the oil sands regions and all that sort of thing, the shale oil, what's known commonly as fracking, that kind of oil that you can go get. Let's just put the – I know there are a lot of people when you hear fracking, well, that's a trigger word for them. And they'll be going, well, dang it, we shouldn't be doing fracking anyway. Let's just put that aside for a second and focus on the Saudis and what they're going to do with their oil in a world where D.C. stops – stops giving them tons of money essentially and stops selling them arms and stops giving them advantageous relationships that we don't give with other governments. See, again, my argument is at worst, the price of oil will go higher. And again, there are market reactions to that that will actually then push the price lower. But even if I'm wrong, even if all of Western society would come to a screeching halt without the Saudi Arabian oil supply, it's my argument that even if they didn't directly sell it to the United States of America, they would certainly sell it to someone. And then that someone would sell it to somebody else, and perhaps eventually in that line of trading, clearly, eventually, it's going to get to America. And again, worst-case scenario, you're paying a few more cents possibly even an, another dollar a gallon for, for, a, for gasoline at the pump. And I understand that nobody wants to pay higher gasoline prices. Understood. But again, I'm skeptical that that's ultimately what happens. But if I'm wrong, let's say that, yes, if the Saudis cut us off, oh, no, we're all screwed. We have to pay a little bit higher in gas prices. Well, guess what? 
there is a much while that is a very obvious seen cost that we would be paying at the pump there are massive unseen costs at least unseen as in america more difficult to see costs of sending our young men and women over to the middle east and tons of money to saudi arabia and resources and weapons etc 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 there's obviously an enormous cost to that to the tune of billions of dollars a year so again what kind of costs would you rather pay? You tell me that. Ultimately, I think if this whole Khashoggi moment, this narrative, whatever you want to call it, if that ends up exposing the, frank, frankly, the insanity of the United States government's relationship with Saudi Arabia, if it exposes that, then that's a great thing. It's just my worry that by simply calling Mr. Khashoggi a journalist and not showing that he was actually a dissident of Saudi Arabia and somebody who was very much against their government and against the Saudi kingdom. And also, he's apparently had ties to some, you know, some less than uh, desirable characters. And for the purposes of this podcast and uh, for not getting sued, too. I uh, Not that I'm going to get sued by some guy in uh, Saudi Arabia who's dead, but anywho, poor guy. Boy, that bone knife. That was a nice detail, wasn't it? What was that? The, the Some guy was sitting in wait in the Saudi consulate with a, uh, a bone knife to like cut his bone off and plant some DNA evidence. Man, that was a weird detail. The Saudi kingdom, everybody. Listen, I don't know how much to believe about that. I don't know what to believe coming out of Saudi Arabia and the Middle East news-wise. I think we should all be skeptical about lots of things coming over there. And particularly if it's coming from the Saudi Arabian government, the Iranian government, any government, period, including, frankly, our own, we should be very skeptical in these things because our own government has been caught in blatant lies in these types of things every day. And it's my... It's my contention that we should just leave all of them alone. We should just simply protect our own and and trade. Fine, if the Saudis want to trade us some oil, sure, here you go. Here's what we're not doing, though. We're not giving you cheap arms that are subsidized by American taxpayers. We're not subsidizing your stupid oil companies, your, your oil regime, any of that. No, you're on your own, just like we're on our own in terms of government help in terms of intergovernmental foreign aid you know and that stuff is frankly just bribes anyway it's not really aid because that money doesn't get doesn't get 99 times out of 100 it never gets to the people it's meant to ostensibly help the individuals of that country and just like you're seeing this trade war that's happening right now between Xi slash Xi Jinping, the president of China, and Donald Trump. You see, it seems like Donald thinks he can get Mr. Ping, President Ping, or Xi Jinping, excuse me, to to uh, lift the the tariffs on U.S. imports. But here's the problem: Xi Jinping doesn't care about his people that much because he's doing just fine. You see. These types of sanctions, these types of trade wars, and frankly, any type of 
tax, subsidy, and indeed any type of governmental aid, or as I like to call them, intergovernmental bribes, all that does is make the actual people who live in that country, the taxpayers, the people who really make the country work, they're the ones who get hurt time and time again. And for once, I think we should take a look in the mirror and say, what are we doing with the Saudis? I don't care who you support politically, if you're a Republican or Democrat, because I've seen George W. Bush hold hands with a Saudi prince, with the king, with whoever that guy was. I've seen Barack Obama bow to these people. I've seen Donald Trump and Jared Kushner be buddy-buddy with Mohammed bin al-Saman. I'm not comfortable with any of this, and you shouldn't be either. And frankly, if they're willing to just snuff out a guy who writes for the Washington Post with basically no no word, no no trial, no nothing, that is not the mark of a regime that anybody should trust. And frankly, I don't even trust Canada, so why should I trust the Saudis? Again, I trust Canadian people. Canadian people are cool. But do I trust Justin Trudeau? No, I do not. And I never will. So once again, just to sum up, if the Saudi Arabians decide not to sell not to sell oil to the United States, to companies in the United States, to individuals in the United States, again, what are they going to do? Are they going to drink the oil? No, there's only two things they can do. They can either burn it, they can consume it, or they can sell it. See, that's how oil works. Unlike a milkshake, you can't drink it. I drink your milkshake. I drink it up. I'm sorry. I just, I, I really reached to, for a reason to play that sound bite. But you know what? It, it makes me laugh and I had to do it. So you know what? That's a good capper. Until next time on the Everybody Trades Podcast.